Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I am just your typical Spike. My good buddy, producer extraordinaire, and guy that makes sure I always keep my levels in check, Cameron McCoy. Friend, how you doing? You got to hit that negative 12 dB all the time, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I saw the little flash of red at the corner of my eye that my levels were clipping, and I was like... Cameron will walk away from this show, <laughs> right? Clipping is not an option, right? <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> hey, we're here to talk Magic the Gathering. We're on, I would call it the precipice of really learning a lot about Brothers War, hopefully changing standard a lot. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um Though for everyone's sanity, I would still like them to ban Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Uh, yep. However, however, there's a lot to talk about in terms of what we've been playing. We I do want to cover some Brothers War cards and some other things that kind of have come out of Magic 30. Um, the very, uh, we'll say, the 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 Pro Tour, I know, Cameron, you don't watch, or whatever, whatever Pro Magic looks like. It was the World Championship at the same time as the Magic 30 celebration. And... The coverage through Twitch was actually excellent. It's a shame that hmm. the formats being standard and explorer specifically, like the draft was fine, but and I watched probably the least of that. But what I I really enjoyed that draft. Um, the formats didn't do the the coverage justice. I thought, um, and you know, bottom line is you and I didn't go to Vegas. We had no part in it. Um, so if you're expecting a real in depth Magic Thirty thing. I'm sorry to disappoint, but Cameron and I have bills to pay and mouths to feed, so mm. we did not go <laughs> to Vegas. Um, dude, so what have you been up to this week? Yeah, uh, as I said in the show notes, uh, I've joined the problem for Explorer, and I'm playing the Fires of Invention, Yorian, Enig Enigmatic Incarnation deck. Uh, so this is the deck that really relies on Yorian and... Um, incarnation and and well, fable of the mirror breaker. Spoiler, uh, <laughs> to do some really, really, really good things. Um, so this deck is you're relying on fires and incarnation to just essentially loop creatures, um, survival of the fittest style or birthing pod style, um, to just essentially get to like an agent of treachery, another Yorian titan of industry it's like that sort of deck um and it's really really good it's uh i think between this and probably the black red deck like two of the best things you could probably be doing in historic right now um i've been a far away far enough away from pioneer for the last few days that i'm, I'm ready for those pioneer cards to come in because like there is definitely a separation happening um mm -hmm. And while I think this deck is great, I do find this to be a problematic just because I am playing, I feel like, a lot of mirror matches and a lot of sacrifice matches, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of anything else. Um, I'm in the diamonds right now, so I mean, like, I, I'm doing well and I, I and whatnot, but, like, I just feel like, um, yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's a problem. Um, I And I don't even know where, what to address. Like, the three cards I think that this has to address our fires, Yorian, and Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Like, I mean, those cards, it doesn't matter what else is in this deck, honestly. 
I mean, because like anything else just is like gravy. It's just like, but those just fuel so many different engines that um, I find it problematic. I really do. Yeah, to your point, when I was watching the Explorer coverage, if somebody wasn't playing the Sacrifice Cat Oven deck, which I think we can all agree is maybe the second most uninteresting deck of all time to watch (laughs) and play against. Like, outside of Miracles, like old school top Miracles, I mean, it just feels like that. Like, it is Mm, just you can feel your life draining out of you while you're playing it. Good example. And... Everything else is a cheat guys into play deck. Whether you're doing it with fires, whether you're doing it with transmogrify, whether you're doing it with, you know, the enigmatic incarceration is the name of the card, right? Yeah. But they're all flavors or indomitable creativity. It's all flavors of the exact same play process. The question is, what are you cheating in? This is the toolbox version of that deck, the deck you're describing, but there's also... You know, the Agent of Treachery version, or the Torrential Gear Hulk version, or, hey, I'm just going to put in a bunch of Titans of Industry and hope to copy them with my Fable of the Mirror Breakers, right? Like, these all play very, very similarly, and looks over both shoulders. It doesn't feel like magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, the diversity is not really there, because there's... And I know some of it is also, like, the hate cards aren't super great. Like, really a... um the two-mana cleric uh, that was uh, in a supplemental product uh, that you could flash in and it would exile the creature. I can't remember Mm. what that thing was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is the kind of thing that this format needs. It needs safety valves because we're rapidly headed down this path of things are getting so broken in Explorer slash Pioneer that you either need to ban things or print supplemental product. I don't want them to print supplemental product that exists outside of these standards, right? Because I think that's kind of how we got into this mess. Yep. Um, but yeah, this is, and as you know, I'm against any deck that makes Siege Rhino even decent. So uh, <laughs> not not acceptable. Um, I got to be honest with you, Cameron, I've really struggled this week with mm-hmm. my enjoyment of magic. You know, I kind of go through ups and downs where I really like a format or I really like a decision Wizards made. And I got to be honest with you, man, the $1,000 pack thing is still really, really sticking in my craw. You know what I mean? It's like when the Chiefs lose a playoff game, which has happened many times (coughs) in my life. Uh, I would love to tell you that I'm a big enough person, a not shallow enough person to not get too upset by a company's incredibly greedy and... Uh, tone-deaf decisions. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case, man. I am. It turns out I'm just a shallow jerk. <laughs> and I can't really get past it. So I found myself holding off on buying Brothers War pre-release stuff. Because I was like, I don't... What am I doing? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, like you, decided to kind of give up on Standard until Brothers War comes out. What I, my plan is to draft Brothers War a lot because yeah. I really did get a lot out of drafting Dominaria United, and I think that was probably one of the biggest enjoyment phases I've had out of Magic <coughs> in the past couple months. Like, I thought that was really good. Like, if someone were to say, hey, I want to start playing Magic right now, I would tell them, just draft Dominaria United. It's a good draft format. Um, but Standard, it's just like, I, I've seen my... 
I've had it. I'm done. I don't need to see another turn three Fable of the Mirror Breaker or turn three Rafine. I get it, right? And I would love to tell you that it's because I haven't done well in the standard, but I really feel like I've turned the corner on that. Like, I'm winning a lot more. Mm-hmm. But that's not changed anything, right? And that combined with this really kind of half-hearted celebration of Magic 30 has really just, you know, affected me this week. So I was like, okay, Curtis, you just need to change a pace. They have this Magic 30 mixed-up draft. Now, I thought that would be like a cube kind of thing. Um, And I thought, oh, sweet, you're going to be able to keep these cards. This is going to be like... Uh, really nice. Bad news, Cameron. I, I used up one of my draft tokens that I had sitting around on my account. And I opened the first pack and I was like, oh no. Oh. This is, these are one rare packs. Just mixed up. So you get 14 random uncommons and commons. Like the same coalition. So whatever that is. Like 10 commons. 4 uncommons. 1 rare or mythic rare. From any set that's on Arena. And it is a garbage product. I, I'm going to tell you this right now. I have not lost a match yet. I'm 3-0. and And I'm already thinking about not playing it anymore. Wow. It is... I, I just have, you know, the ham sandwich, the commons, the Curtis Commons classic. <laughs> and it is, it is blue-green flyers. And I have a mind control as my big end game, right? But it's like I've got a mutate card, and I've got a uh, you know thing that creates trample counters card, and then I've got you know a raid card from Ixalan. Like it is a just spewing of a bunch of commons that don't gel together, and then masking it as a celebration of magic. And asking for a full price draft. This is a full price draft. Hmm. This is a full price draft. And it, it literally feels like somebody just hit the randomizer on Scryfall. Like it yeah. is. It really didn't help my mood about that, Cameron. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm not going to analyze. I just, if you're out there and you haven't done it yet, because it's only got like two days left on the thing, I would highly recommend against it. Okay. Just draft Dominaria United. Um, but Cameron, hey, Magic 30 has some good sides. Um, not only did they have a cosplay contest where they gave out more than just a, a gift card for Joanne's fabrics. fabrics. yeah. Um, they also showed off some Brothers Wars, War cards. So let's, let's get some positivity going here. Mm-hmm. There's some good control cards. Why don't you start us off with Teferi? Comma. Oh wow! Temporal me, pilgrim. You, I, I feel honored. You're giving me Teferi. What, well, dude? <laughs> dude, it's because it's because I care. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. So we have another Teferi Planeswalker with a uh, power. Uh, I'm sorry, a casting cost of three colorless blue blue. Starting loyalty of four. Whenever you draw a card, put a loyalty counter on Teferi. Uh, zero. Draw a card. Not bad. Minus two, create a 2-2 blue spirit creature token with vigilance, and whenever you draw a card, put a plus one, plus one counter on this card, or creature. And then minus 12, target opponent chooses a permanent they control and returns it to their owner's hand. Then they shuffle each non-land permanent they control into its owner's library. 
<laughs> there's a lot here. Like what it's doing is super, super powerful. Um, you know, depending on the type of deck you're playing, like, I mean, you're getting to that minus 12 very, very, very quickly. Um, and you don't even have to activate that zero ability to get a, you know, vigilant spirit creature to protect your Teferi. Um, you know, so this seems like a turn four wrath the board, turn five play this blue white control classico. I'm down for it. Like if we have a blue white control list, I feel like this is the sort of deck or card that will fit into that deck. Um, and be a role player, I think. Yeah, so it is worth noting that Connive like makes this go real fast. Yeah. Um so I you know, I would theoretically assume you would pair this at the top end. Um also worth pointing out that those creatures have vigilance, the spirit creatures, so they pair really well against um both the uh imp- the wandering emperor wandering and yeah. and Soren. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of puts you in an interesting space against Liliana. Obviously, Liliana has seen a giant reduction in play. Um, but the problem with standard is right now, you kind of lose before this all would happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there are, I mean, I feel like you could point to many standards where this card would be I mean, a four of probably like mm-hmm. it, the Sphinx's Rev era standards. I think this would be an amazingly oh, powerful sure. standard card. The problem is with this standard is it's kind of weirdly aggressive at the three mana spot, right? Like you have to you have to be making a big play on turn three or have a counter spell up yep. and a good counter spell, meaning make disappear, negate, disdainful stroke, spell pierce are basically unusable in this format. Because every creature does a million things and can kill you very easily, right? Yeah. Um, but <coughs> the stats on this card are amazing. I think often you're just going to go five mana, play this minus from the jump, and then kind of just see how it goes. Like baseline mm-hmm. is you're going to get two cards a turn. But again, if you have a Rafine in play, that changes that equation like very quickly. Um to say nothing of some of the other things that are in standard, but any any connive trigger, I think, is going to be really good with this. Um, though, based on worlds with Esper being seventy percent of the deck list, Rafine might be on a borrowed time kind of situation mm-hmm. because I feel like, and again, I'm advocating for banning Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I can't imagine an argument where they would ban Fable of the Mirror Breaker and keep Rafine. Yeah, in. yeah, I agree. Um. All right, so, hey, maybe something else that might interest you a little bit, Cameron. When I say command, you're probably already in. Uh, ears perk up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Urza's command. So, namesake, namesake, right? Like, yeah. you really got to bring it with this card. Two blue-blue for an instant. Choose two. Creatures you don't control get minus two, minus zero until end of turn. Create a tapped Power Stone token. That's a thing that can tap for a colorless. Create a tapped 0-0 colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control, and then scry one, draw a card. 
So, I'm guessing we're going to scry one draw a card and create a construct most of the time. What are you thinking on this one, dude? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. Um, you know, I, you called it last time when you said, like, it, it felt like maybe control was going to be very artifact heavy come this mm-hmm. set. And yeah. here we are. And um, this card very much speaks to that. Um, it's good if there's an artifact deck. And if, if you can actually get the... I don't know if it's going to always be the Power Stone token and the Construct or you're kind of cheating this in to give all your your opponent's creatures minus two and then you block and, you know, save your creatures and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it seems ah, pretty good. I, I like it, but it is so dependent on, like, what the rest of the meta is going to look like and what the rest of your 56 is going to look like as well. So, worth pointing out, Power Stone tokens can only cast other artifacts. Mm. So, a Power Stone token, artifact with tap, add colorless. This mana cannot be spent to cast a non-artifact spell. So, I think that's a major downside because it doesn't allow you to chain these together. Mm -hmm. And, like, Power Stone tokens are odd because, like, you can't even use it to cast a Karn because that's a Planeswalker and not an artifact. Mm Mm-hmm. Seems weird. Should say colorless. That's my opinion. Whatever. I would also um, just say that, you know, not that I play a lot of Tezzerator decks, but like if we're going down that rabbit hole, four mana for a Tezzerator deck, jam this in somewhere. And I feel like it, it jives with literally everything else you're doing in that deck. Um, and it might be really good. Feels like Tezzerate is. I mean, he's just the dream that we'll never see, Cameron. It's to true, quote yeah, a Molly right. Hatchet song. <laughs> um, that's that's probably like more than mono black control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody has always wanted a Tezzeret control deck because yeah. four mana Tezzeret especially is like on its face such a powerful planeswalker, but it has never worked. It has never worked. It's so hey, disappointing. Live the dream. Just buy your four for this for your Tezzeret deck and see what happens. I mean, like. There's been so many other cards where we've seen what happens, and it does nothing, but there's always that lone Tezzeret player. At least in my shop, there is. So he's trying it, huh? Oh, he's always trying. Yeah. <laughs> Good on him, I guess. Why don't you read for us Mishra's Command? Yeah. Uh, Mishra's Command is uh, X and a red for a sorcery. Choose two. Choose target player. They may discard up to two X, up to X cards. Then they draw cards. a card for each card discarded this way. This spell deals X damage to target creature. This spell deals X damage to target planeswalker. And target creature gets plus X plus zero and gains haste until end of turn. I mean, there are many standards where one red and X, whatever the spell is, is a really, really good card. And this giving you option of doing two of those... um, seems great. So if there is like a Jeskai control list or a red-white control list, I mean, Planeswalkers are a thing. Creatures are a thing. Like, I mean, so just wiping the board that way is good. Um, I don't know. Like, I I think that this card has a lot of utility, and I, I really like having that option of choose two with X. Um, so go big, and I think you could deal 
plenty of damage to creatures and planeswalkers. Yeah, the the only thing really holding this back is the fact that it's sorcery speed, right? Yeah. Um, everything yeah. else about it is pretty banana. So first of all, this I think we can fit neatly into the realm of I don't know how you ever beat this unlimited. Like, oh no. my god. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of standard constructed, you're right. Like, I like it in a. I don't like it in a blue red tempo or a <laughs> mono red big red. I think it works so much better in a control shell. Like we might see this paired with Jaya and paired with the the Red Wrath, mm-hmm. right? Like something like that that's a little bit more conducive because what this does is it solves your two for one problem. Where often you're facing down a Shieldred and a Soren or yeah. a Shieldred and a Liliana, and being able to eliminate both of those in one go. I mean, it's almost as good as uh, Invoke Despair, Cameron, which is, uh, you know, fantastic. <laughs> um, you just might have to pay a little bit more for it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so last one. This is this is one of those cards that, I, I again, I feel like maybe I'm just biased by spending too much time around magic. That <clears throat> I look at this and I think, this card's good. And then I kind of like spin my wheels thinking about how I could use this in a current game of standard. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this is useless. So what's your opinion? <laughs> Urza Silex is a three-mana artifact. Okay? Then four and tap. Exile Urza Silex. Each player chooses six lands they control. Destroy all other permanents. Activate only as a sorcery. When Urza Silex is put into exile from the battlefield, you may pay two. If you do, search your library for a Planeswalker card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So again, I ask you, Cameron, am I, is this magical Christmas land? Is this too slow or Mm -hmm. is this actually a good, because theoretically this could be a four mana wrath, right? Theoretically. (laughs) Uh, But I mean... I don't know if this is actually what you want to be doing on turn three. Is this is this the turn three play that that trumps uh, Fable the Mirror Breaker and Rafine? I, I I you know Rafine's not, but like you know like I I don't know like this just feels maybe just a little too dirtily. I like the card. I mean, like everything about it sounds awesome. Flavor everything. I, I like the card, but like. In current standard, I just don't know if this is uh, this is good enough. So, and I'd love to know if I can use the Power Stone things to pay the two colorless. I would assume so. Hmm. But I don't know. That's the thing. It's like in the context of a control deck. So, like, I could play this earlier and theoretically get the bonus if I am a more artifact based control. And the idea that. I can Wrath on four or five and get a Planeswalker to follow this whole operation up with is pretty appealing. Mm-hmm. The downside is they're still playing Tenacious Underdog. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, I have not exiled said Tenacious Underdog, right? Mm-hmm. But you can also do this all in one turn at the cost of maybe a land for you, right? Because it's seven mana. So, again, once we're kind of talking top-in, it's a little bit dicey because when you're a control player, you want to be at 10 life, board is clean, you have card draw spells, and you have 10 mana to work with, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and this just seems like a very artificial cap on it, right? Um, it's a bummer. I I don't know. I I don't think the six land thing is beneficial to this. I get that feels maybe more like a flavor thing. Mm-hmm. But <sighs> destroy destroy artifacts like uh, wrath effect artifacts tend to not mess with land. So. We'll say I don't love that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cameron, what's your hype level for Brothers War? I am putting far too much hope onto Brothers War that it's actually going to make a legitimate impact and really shake up standard. Um, I just don't know. Based off of what we've seen so far, there's some really interesting things, but I don't know if blue-white artifact control is going to be able to compete with Black Red, with Esper. I just don't know. I just don't think it... I, I haven't seen anything that's going to bring those decks up into the upper echelons that they need to be. Agreed. Um, we'll say I'm concerned, but I'm excited. I'm excited hey, to be proven wrong. New product. I'm... Yeah, I sh- I'll put that with a qualifier. New product for standard. Always excited for. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, Cameron, let's get out of this segment and come back and talk about what else we've been excited for. So, Cameron, I hear you've been uh, enjoying, or not enjoying, whatever the case may be, some uh, streets of Gotham City. How's that been working out for you? Well, thanks to your industrious knowledge of Steam, I actually just returned it during the show earlier. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice. So maybe Very not easy. the best review. Uh yeah, Gotham. Uh Gotham Knights, man. Uh I had some gift card money. So I felt like, yeah, what harm is there in in checking out this game because like I like the Arkham Knight series a lot. Um this should be great. And if it's like And Spider-Man, there hasn't been one in a long time. Yeah, like, like a long time. 7 years? I didn't realize it was that yeah. long. Um yeah. yeah. So anyway, was looking forward to kind of checking this out. I knew that it had, we'll say like middling reviews, but I don't feel like they were unkind enough to this game. Just in the fact of like, it's boring. Um, Open world Gotham City with NPCs walking around, you know, a la... um, you know, any other open world game. And I, I just find that so much more un- interesting than like city being on a lockdown, like um, the last Batman game was uh, on top of that. Like I was super excited. Like, Oh, you get to play Batgirl, Nightwing and Robin, Red Hood, whatever. I don't really care, but like, you know, extended family of Batman and um, they all play differently. But they're all trying to shoehorn everything into a the brawl mechanic that they designed. And this brawl mechanic is functionally worse than anything that has come out in like the last decade. Like it's like they've they completely ignored Spider-Man, um, the last, you know, five Arkham games. Like how many have there been now? Four Arkham games? Mm-hmm. Um, Assassin's Creed, like they've ignored everything about like like what makes a good brawler. Um, it, it, I, it, I I find it 
very lackluster. And I have not played it in multiplayer. And maybe if like you were playing Robin and I was playing Batgirl, maybe then I would see how like the hit meter kind of works to pull off these ultimates. But like it just does not have like that chain of flow that like the old Arkham games had where I just really got into like a Zen state and could just kind of check out, have a good time being Batman and beat people up. Um, it just doesn't feel nearly as smooth. On top of that, I'm running, a, I think, a, a pretty decent PC. It's not like over the top, but like it runs all games, no problem at 1440p, 60 FPS, no problem, right? Like I, I have yeah. no problem. This game looks worse in some ways, I think, just like lighting, textures, like frame stutters, like, I mean, like real things that like, I just, I'm shocked that this has been released and just doesn't look as good as a seven-year-old game. So all of that aside, like I just, at the end of the day, I was, I, I got into it and I was just, I haven't played it for six days now, five days, and just incredibly uninteresting. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really bummed. Like that's the, that's my review is like I'm just bummed that this game did not meet any sort of expectation. Yeah, I think what people need to hear is don't do an open world unless you can deliver at an extremely high level. Like Horizon Forbidden West needs to be the minimum yeah. of what you can meet. Right? Like Elden Ring... Breath of the Wild, Witcher 3 are at such a level, and the most recent Horizon game, that if you can't compete with that, then just be linear and linear and make a great linear game, mm -hmm. right? Because I we talked about this, like I'm so burnt out on open worlds, and open world just for the sake of it feels like bad level design. And uh, yeah, I... I was bummed that this, because like obviously I'm a huge Batman fan. I'm a huge Batman family fan. Like I'm the guy that whenever I saw the roster, I was like, "Oh no, orphan! That's a bummer." That's how <laughs> deep I am in this stuff, guys. And uh, yeah, I no Damian Wayne either. But apparently, this was originally going to be a Damian Wayne game. I don't know, um, a little more interesting, I think. But yeah, so say we all, man. So say we all. <laughs> Uh, so Cameron, let's say that you would like to be escorted on a light pillow of easy and functional game design through many <laughs> video game <laughs> levels. May I present to you Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2? So here's what I want to say. Um, I have a very, like I call it the Call of Duty conundrum in the show notes. You definitely have to take this for what it is. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's hard. It's like Succession. I feel like the people that made this game knew that they were making a Tom Clancy game, right? Like that yeah. level of seriousness. But clearly there are people out there in the world that don't get that and think of it as a realistic depiction of, you know how things work in the real world. And that's a little troublesome, right? <laughs> when you're playing it, that's like sitting in the back of your mind a little bit. And again, I have this problem with Succession where I'm watching it. Clearly, it's a send-up of the uber-wealthy, but there are people out there that watch it and go, man, these people are awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, 
but what Call of Duty now represents is a, a small single player experience that's super high quality, and games just don't get made like that anymore. It's kind of alarming. But it, whenever I found out it was an eight hour campaign, I was like, that sounds amazing to me, right? Mm -hmm. Eight hour linear campaign that's very action y. Cool. And I know, so if you don't abla Call of Duty, the modern warfare games are the ones that feel like Tom Clancy. And then they have like the Black Ops, which are kind of these conspiracy theory things. And then they, they, have, they have a World War II series. And so they kind of rotate through mm -hmm. all these, okay? So the previous Modern Warfare was them trying to reestablish the game engine. And instead of making it look like the same game every year, they actually got some really good people to make the engine and make it look good. So we're talking it's a very top-of-the-line graphically uh, sophisticated game now. And that used to be problematic because of the yearly churn that they were on. Um, and then they also hired some people out of Naughty Dog to work on the narrative stuff. Okay? Okay. So you're a little bit more in a scripted, linear... There are moments that feel like Uncharted in both of these games. Obviously from the first person. And they also clearly have watched Zero Dark Thirty maybe too many times. <laughs> Um, because there's a lot of those moments of the, you know, the night vision and the ray tracing through the dark and all that kind of stuff. So it is a great mindless time. I'm like four missions in and I put on my headphones. I enjoyed a primo production value. Like we're talking through yeah. the roof, sound design, graphical design. It's just like, you know, you get in a shootout in public in Amsterdam. And then the back of my brain is like, man, I don't know how I should feel about this. Like, no <laughs> civilians are, like, necessarily in your fire or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. you're kind of, like, in a gunfire in public in a very well-rendered version of Amsterdam. You're like, hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. this is probably not the coolest, but whatever. Right? Let's Looks make great. it happen. <laughs> Looks great. And, and again, that's something you would see in a Tom Clancy movie and not think anything about. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact that you're kind of in it does add a sprinkle of something else to it. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Cameron, I popped on the multiplayer. I'll probably pay it, play it for like five nights. And again, mindless, fun, some good maps, some good rootin' tootin' shootin'. Uh, but in terms of like in-depth, I don't think it necessarily holds up. So... What I'm trying to say is this is the amuse-bouche of the before God of War. I'm going to play it. I'm going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to forget it. It's still way short of Titanfall 2. Surprise, surprise. And then I'm going to go enjoy God of War. But this fall, thanks to Gotham Knights kind of falling on its face, there's not a lot of options. No. You know, this is where COVID is hitting us the hardest. And, um, you know, between... Oh man, I can't believe I'm forgetting the game. The Switch game that's the 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 Mirror's Edge Runner. Oh sure, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, Cameron, I'm such an old man. I can't believe I forgot this. This is my favorite game of the year. Um, and then Elden Ring. Everything else has kind of fallen like a lot short of those games. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's kind of a bummer, but hey. If you want a thought to not enter your head for two weeks and you just want to enjoy some high value, production value, and some just good shooting. Neon white. Yes. Neon white. Neon white. 
I mean, unless I'm missing something, Cameron, can you think of any other game that's going to stand up remotely close to those two? No, no. Um, uh, the Sifu is like the only one that like I've played that like has like kind of stood out as like exceptional. That's about it. I, it's a small handful, man. Yeah, I, I still have to check out Sifu. I've meant to do that. So, anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to shoot some game of the year uh, suggestions to you, where could they find you? That's all on Twitter at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I'm at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We will check you guys next week. <laughs>